0: and a huge welcome to the Society for the Environment's very first podcast. My name is Emma Wilcox along with being the host for today's podcast I'm also the Chief Exec here at the Society for the Environment. To provide a brief introduction the Society holds the Royal Charter which we were awarded in 2004 and we're the custodian of the Registration for Environmental Professionals. That includes our Chartered Environmentalist Register with post-nominal CMV and Registered Environmental Technician Register with the post-nominals Tech. Our professional body members come from a wide range of industries and sectors, reflecting the diverse disciplines of the environmental profession. The number of experts registered as chartered environmentalists currently stands at over 7,400 worldwide. To view our licensed bodies or for more information about our organisation, please visit our website at socemv.org.uk. So today we have the pleasure of speaking to Chartered Environmentalist Professor James Longhurst.
1: Hi Emma, Um, I'm Jim Longhurst. I'm only really James when I'm in trouble (laughs) and I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have.
0: Let's just jump straight into the questions. So first of all, can you tell us about your current job, your current role and how you got to where you are now?
1: Okay, well I have a a bit of a portfolio of of job titles. Um, I'm the Assistant Vice-Chancellor for Environment and Sustainability at the University of the West of England, which is a large and successful university in Bristol. My my job, I like to describe as being a license to meddle in everything (laughs) university does, because if you are serious about making a university sustainable, There is nothing that you shouldn't ask questions about, nothing you shouldn't seek to build uh, colleagues' understanding about what sustainability means in their role. And as a consequence, that means I have the opportunity to engage in every aspect of the university's work, from our teaching and learning, research activities, the way in which we engage with our communities and partners in the city region and beyond and of course in the way the university organizes and delivers um the work through the operation of its uh, multiple estates so that's one part of of my job and that's uh, uh it was at the time i was a appointed a unique role in higher education. There are now others that have a a similar role in other universities, but I I was, if you like, a bit of a trailblazer in a senior university role. A little bit different to most senior staff in universities, I actually still have a very active research career I'm very proud to be the Professor of Environmental Science um, in the university, and I discharge that role in the university's Faculty of Environment and Technology. So I have uh, an active research group called the Air Quality Management Centre, where, uh, where I work with colleagues on a whole range of air quality management projects funded by a whole raft of different uh, funding bodies, UK Research Councils, European Union, So I have a bit of a portfolio uh, to, to manage there, but it's very enjoyable and I wouldn't think there's another job that I could possibly do that would give me the same satisfaction.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. So tell us, why did you choose this profession or did the profession choose you? Yeah, I
1: mean, it's a question I've been asked a number of times over the years. I date my environmental awareness back to, you may remember a a terrible oil tanker accident off the Cornish coast when the Torrey Canyon struck rocks and discharged vast quantities of oil onto the Cornish coast and and well beyond. Well, I grew up in Cornwall and uh, I had, I'm not sure pleasure is the right word, but I had the the opportunity to view that terrible disaster. Um, And that really led me to, To ask questions about pollution, about how society organizes itself and the way in which we respond to those sorts of things. And from that moment onwards, I can sort of date my interest and awareness and concern and wish to do something positive that would make uh, environmental consciousness, if you like, a part of what we do. And from then onwards, I wanted to to study environmental matters. So I went off to study environmental science. When I would got a degree, I went off to do a master's degree in environmental science and then a PhD. And when I couldn't get any more degrees, I I had to work in a university. Um, And the role I have now has just been a natural evolution through working in other institutions and then coming to Bristol about 22, nearly 23 years ago came to Bristol to the University of the West of England thinking I'd be here for a couple of years Um, but nearly 23 years later um, Bristol gets under your skin it's a fantastic city and the University of the West of England is a fantastic university that I've really enjoyed working in so um and I had the pleasure of writing my own job description to be the Assistant Vice-Chancellor for Environment and Sustainability, because it was the first of its type. And um, the Vice-Chancellor, to his great credit, and his Deputy Vice-Chancellor at the time said, well, write, write the job description. Um, so I did. Um, and they were good enough to agree to it.
0: Excellent. Do you feel that your role you've described as trailblazing, do you feel that it makes a difference and has made a difference?
1: i wouldn 't do it if it didn 't make a difference. Um, the University of the west of england has has got a, a reputation for its engagement with the sustainability agenda there 's a whole raft of different uh, awards and accolades that we 've won, and that 's come about through the very large number of staff who who understand why sustainability is important and what it means not not to be a, an environmental activist necessarily, but to somebody who places environmental and sustainability concerns within their, their remit, their remit to teach, to research, to engage with stakeholders around and within the university. doesn't mean that they do that all the time and in everything they do, but they have a consciousness that's developed that um, sets us on a journey. And we've built that through um, our sustainability plan which is one of the things we've won awards for and that plan helps to 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 place for individuals and for groups of staff and for departments in all all sorts and sizes um, the contribution that they can make and the way in which uh, we need as a university to move forward so all of those things um, you know they are about making a difference but it's not me making that difference it's working with others who through their actions make a difference and the biggest change agents are our students we're we're a university of some 30,000 students and I am absolutely delighted that the University of the West of England Student Union is recognised within the National Union students as the number one student union for taking sustainability seriously. They have for the last two years won the NUS Green Impact Award, which is um, recognition of their engagement with this um, with this whole agenda. And that's something that over the last seven or eight years, they've gone from a relatively low level of engagement to a seriously engaged institutional commitment to dealing with sustainability questions in their operations. And to engage in a very significant and substantial way with the university to ensure the university lives up to their sustainability uh, commitments. So, that's that's really important to me that we've we've had the these effects, and they continue to make a difference.
0: That's really great to hear, and you mentioned a couple of key words in there about professionalism uh, versus activism. Can you just say a little bit about why it's important to be recognized as an environmental professional and what your chartered environmentalist registration means to you personally?
1: Well thinking about c m first um I was very involved in the formation of Society for the Environment at critical times um, in the Society's formation. I was the chair of council of the Institution of Environmental Sciences and I'm a vice president now of that institution. So very much involved at the beginning, very much involved in helping to To think through those issues that actually led to the society's formation and then its organisational principles and the way it, it, it moves forward. In fact, I served on the board at one point. So I was absolutely committed to the idea that the environment should be seen as a profession for a whole raft of reasons. Principally, because it is so absolutely critical to the future of society that we recognise environmental limits and we strive through all the things that we do to make sure that we are working towards a better environment rather than one in which we extract resource and value without understanding the implications of that. And for me, environmental science, which I'm absolutely, to my very core, an environmental scientist. It is at the heart of understanding, well, how do you live within environmental limits? You have to understand them. You have to understand the feedback that exists within the systems. And you have to be able to explain that. And you have to be able to share that meaning with very different audiences. Highly technical, where that's appropriate, but with the public to help shape an understanding. And all of that is at the heart of what being an environmental professional is about. Technically competent, but able to communicate and to be able to do that in ways that are respectful, that are ways that are, are, if you like, embedded in the ethical code of practice that actually should be the touchstone of the way in which you operate on a day-to-day basis.
0: That's great. Just finally, before we move on to air quality, what would you say to others thinking about a career in the environment? What advice would you give them?
1: Oh, well, that would be very simple. It it is um, absolutely critical to the way in which we organise society that people are environmentally aware. I would urge people who are concerned at this stage, who may, may be in school or in sixth form college, to think about the nature of the degree that they go on to study. And we're very fortunate now that maybe nearly half of eligible individuals go on to higher education. So think about a degree in environmental science, think about a degree in geography or in perhaps in a biological discipline. That will be the foundation of a career in science of the environment. But there are also engineering disciplines that contribute, environmental engineering, architecture and environmental engineering, All of those can make uh, important contributions to an environmental professional career. There are huge opportunities. And one of the things that I I teach on uh, as part of my role, I make sure I continue to teach and supervise Masters and PhD students, but I teach on our Masters in Environmental Consultancy. And I talk about the huge range of opportunities that now exist for those who have come through that route, who are on a Masters in Environmental Consultancy, The consultancy business in the UK and, in fact, worldwide is continuing to grow. There are huge opportunities. All our students just about go on to very rewarding careers that have studied this master's degree. And that is just one small element of where employment opportunities exist. Environmental specialists are needed in the Environment Agency and other regulatory bodies in central government departments, but also increasingly technically competent environmental scientists are needed in industrial, commercial and other enterprises. And that's not just UK, that's worldwide. So there are huge opportunities as our collective environmental consciousness continues to grow, those opportunities will become ever more important. And there is a huge future um, for those who want to study this And of course, you will want to become a professional recognized by an appropriate society so that you aspire to becoming a a CM. Now, um, the only other piece of advice would be make sure that you enter an environmental program that is accredited by a professional body. Little plug for my own professional body, the Institution of Environmental Sciences is the preeminent accreditor of um, environmental science and related degrees in the UK. That gives you an early advantage in graduating from a degree of that nature on your professional development routeway, ultimately to CM.
0: That's really great advice. We only have to look on the national newspapers and the national news and the international news to see that collective consciousness growing. So you mentioned your research role and that you still lead a research centre and you're incredibly active and leading in air quality. The theme for this year's World Environment Day is air pollution. So can you just give us an overview of the challenge that we face?
1: Yeah, um, it's just where to start in such a complex problem as we as we perceive it from outside. But actually within, if you are within the the air pollution bubble, if you like, actually this isn't so complex at all because the evidence base for the effects of air pollution is absolutely compelling we know through the work that world health organization has brought together that something of the order of um, four million individuals around the world each year will have their life prematurely ended because of exposure to a number of, uh, of different air pollutants we know this But the actions that we need to take to reduce emissions below the concentrations that uh, epidemiological evidence tells us will um, reduce the risk of ill health, we seem incapable of actually enforcing the good words that are talked about in parliamentary and European and and wider scale um, activities. We're very good at talking about this. We are reasonably good at emission control in terms of national totals of emissions. What we seem absolutely unable to do is to control concentrations in uh, areas of major populations. Now, we have talked about this since well the mid-1990s. Um, if I just think back to um, the Environment Act of 1995, This was a Great Britain wide piece of legislation that introduced the idea of the air quality management area as a control mechanism to reduce concentrations. It was first thought that maybe a handful of big cities would require one. It now turns out that over two thirds of all the local authorities in the United Kingdom have one or more air quality management areas. And these are areas where the concentration of pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide or particulate matter. We exceed concentrations of pollutants that are harmful to health. And we've had these for the best part of um, 18 to 20 years without enforcement action to reduce that risk. Now, it's All sorts of reasons um, why we don't do that. We don't take it seriously enough. And we haven't prioritised the public health gains that would come from enforcing the air quality objectives. So the problem remains. We have some encouragement, however, and we should always look to positives as well as the negatives I've talked about. The positives are that the uh, the Mayor of London has introduced the ultra-low emission zone. We wait to see exactly what benefits that will bring, all of the modelling underpinning the ultra-low emission zone shows that it will have a a very significant impact on concentrations, and it's the concentrations that matter. The government has earlier this year brought out its new clean air plan, and that sets out a, a number of very important ambitions for the government to bring forward actions that will improve um, the emissions of a range of different pollutants from sources that haven't really been engaged with thus far. So it talks about um, the contribution from agricultural emissions and from smaller industrial enterprises. Now, those are very important in two ways. The agricultural emissions um, contribute to the background air pollution, which the winds will bring into cities where large populations exist and they it, they have a complex chemical interaction and lead to other pollutants that can be harmful to health so we've got a, a lot of a lot of positives um but we don't have the capability as far as i can see to enforce action uh, and by that i mean we set regulatory positions but we don't carry forward with sufficient um, endeavor the enforcement of the intention. So we have these, to go back to the air quality management areas, we have literally hundreds of local authorities with areas that we know exceed concentrations of pollutants that are harmful to health. We need to enforce action. Now, in each of those areas, the majority of the pollution is caused by traffic. And the only way in which we can reduce concentrations rapidly will be to reduce traffic flows and to selectively reduce the um, the number of vehicles passing through those areas that are, uh, are more polluting. Now, the ultra-low emissions zone in London is one of the ways in which that can happen, but there needs to be many more actions yeah. of that sort around the country. The clean air zones proposed by government, and which many local authorities are working to introduce are if you like a sibling or or daughter of the air quality management areas but they seem to be stalled and they need to um they need to have more urgency and more effort put behind them so that they bring forward actions that will uh, will change people's behaviors and at the heart of all of this is that our our practices and behaviors um lead to air pollution and one could say that um, air pollution is a societal choice because of the way in which our practices and behaviors uh, create air pollution, so if it is a choice, then we have another opportunity to change that. We can choose to have air pollution or we can choose to do things differently Now, Society talks a good talk about change, but doesn 't always um, doesn 't always follow through on that either so if we 're serious. And we want to reduce the significant toll of ill health and premature death that air pollution brings, not just to the UK, but around the world. It is those sorts of actions that reduce emissions and change practices that will be required. We've got quite a lot of work to do. There's a lot of talk about the benefits that electric vehicles will bring. Um, but the phasing out of diesel and petrol is set by government for uh, 2040. Uh, I think that could be done a lot, lot earlier. And further encouragement, uh, incentivisation of electrification, support for the charging network, etc., will go a long way to speed things up. But I don't see a lot of uh, of action yet on that. The benefits that uh, we will see from electrification will also have a huge impact on our carbon emissions. We need to think about that with the same sort of urgency that we have with air pollution.
0: So if you were able to influence our world leaders for a day, what would be the first thing that you would do?
1: First thing I would do, make sure they had a cup of tea or coffee. (laughs) That's always a good start. It is absolutely critical. Most things are better with a cup of tea or coffee, especially if you're going to give them some hard truths. And that would be what I'd want to do, to understand why the political class needs to own this set of issues around air pollution and carbon management, to own it and to take the actions that we know are needed. There's no real surprises in what needs to be done. What is lacking is the political will to actually take difficult decisions and carry forward the actions that follow from the decision so have a nice cup of tea and then when you've drunk that tea actually take those actions that scientific advisors have been recommending for a reasonably long period of time.
0: Indeed indeed I think that's great advice. Okay so finally what's next for you? Um
1: to go back to work in the university for uh, uh, for this reply, um, what we are doing in the university is developing um, strategy 2030 for the university. And so my, my role in that is making sure that that provides sufficient connections uh, to the sustainability agenda so that it um, enables and allows our new sustainability plan 2030 uh, to to develop and to be uh, an effective plan for delivering a more sustainable university of the West of England. So that's going to take the rest of this calendar year to move those matters forward. And I'd look to have that new plan operational by the beginning of 2020. Um, research... Um, my colleagues in the Air Quality Management Centre uh, are leading a major European funded uh, project called Clare City. Clare City is working um, across the European space with six cities um, Bristol, Amsterdam, Ljubljana, the Aviro region in Portugal, the uh, region around Genoa in Italy and Sosnoviets in Poland, looking at how citizens are aware of and are willing to engage in change to deal with air quality issues. We're into the final year now of that that project. Um, So it's helping to draw together the themes to distill out the key messages to ensure that the scientific underpinnings are properly reported but also that the policy relevant messages are shared in the right form with city and with national and European level um, policymakers. So some really exciting work there. Other projects are are, um, underway in Delhi, possibly one of the most uh, polluted cities in the world. And we're very, uh, very pleased to be working with a range of colleagues from both the UK and India um, to help develop some air quality management um, principles and practices that might bring some improvement to the uh, very profound pollution problems in Delhi. So plenty to, uh, plenty to keep me busy, um, and I intend to do that, to keep busy, to enjoy working in the environment because it's what I've always done, and uh, I thoroughly recommend it as a career to others to, uh, to engage with.
0: That's absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much. That's some really good advice for people thinking of a career in the environment, for those of us working in the environment, and generally for all of us in terms of your very clear choice. Air quality is a choice and we need to think about our behaviours. I think that's come over loud and clear. Thank you.
1: So thank you, Emma. I've enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you so much. It's really great to hear from you. So if you're interested to hear more about our cm or RF Tech registers, please take a look at our How to Become, Why Become recorded webinars on our website at sockenv.org.uk.